Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Welcome you all here this morning. Those of us joining online, welcome to you as well. If you were here last week, I'm sorry, you're going to have to put up with me again this week. Um, <laughs> but it is great to be with you. Um, this morning, I'm very excited to be able to share in our Ten Commandments series and specifically looking at the Fourth Commandment. I believe this commandment holds an incredible amount of importance for us today as a culture and as a society, and so I'm excited to be able to share that with you this morning. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. A few months ago, I was teaching at our college and career group, and I asked this question to our community as a part of my message, and it was simply this. What do you think is the biggest challenge to a thriving Christian faith in the Western world today? What do you think that might be? Would it be, you know, secular humanism, right? And a worldview and an ideology that assumes there's nothing supernatural about the world around us except what we can empirically prove? Would it be Christian nationalism, right, where there's Christian values beginning to mix and commingle with uh, nationalistic tendencies? Would it be progressive Christianity, where the terms of the historical Christian faith are being um, radically reused by a different community in, in very harmful ways? Would it be just living in an increasingly polarized society where we don't longer have political ideas where we jostle back and forth with them? We have political identities that we're willing to fight over. What are some of the biggest challenges to a thriving Christian faith? And while I acknowledge that all of those things that I just mentioned are real, they are pervasive in our society today, and they hold real challenges for us, I think that actually one of the biggest challenges we face as Christians here in the West is actually just one word, and that is this, busy. We are just busy all the time. (laughs) We are constantly busy. Do a little sociological experiment for me this week, if you will. I want you to go, whether it's in your workplace or your neighborhood or talking to family or whatever it might be, I want you to go up to someone and say, hey, how are you doing? And then wait for the response. What's the response going to be? You all know what it's going to be. Hey, I'm good, but I'm... We have decided as a society... That busy is the primary adjective for how we are going to define our reality. We are busy. We're not good. We're not bad. We're not surviving or thriving. We are just busy. And why I believe that this is so dangerous for a life of faith, 
lived in faithfulness to Jesus is because when you are constantly living in a fast-paced, busy all the time, taking on way more than you can sustain, it is detrimental to your soul because it hinders your ability to abide in Jesus. Take a look at me with John 15 for a moment. John 15 verses 4 and 5 say this. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we will remain in Jesus, if we will abide in Jesus, you will bear fruit. It's not a question of if. It's not a question of like, will I bear fruit if I'm abiding in God? I don't know. Like, maybe I have a 50-50 chance. Uh, I... I'd give you a puncher's shot at bearing some fruit. No, that's not what he says. If you will abide in Jesus, your life will bear fruit. Full stop. It just will. Your life will bear fruit. But in order to truly abide in Jesus, that requires us to slow down. It requires us to prioritize time in his word, in his presence, just coming before him to quiet our hearts and minds, to say what he wants to say to us. That takes real time. Secular humanism or progressive Christianity or a, politic or a, a polarized worldview, those things are not going to shipwreck your faith. The Christian faith has survived for two millennia in the face of all kinds of persecutions, all kinds of worldviews, all kinds of ideologies. Okay, that have come up against it. And the Christian faith has continued and survived and thrived, even in the most hostile environments. Those things are not going to shipwreck your faith. But not abiding in Jesus will. Not remaining connected to the source of life, that will shipwreck your faith. He says later on, he says, if you don't remain in me, and I will cut, like the branch gets cut off. That's what happens. You get disconnected from the heart of God, and then you won't bear fruit. That's what happens. Becoming too busy to spend time with him, that will shipwreck your faith. And I don't mean to discard or, or dis, um, I don't mean to dismiss those other things I mentioned. Those are very real challenges that we face today. But those are downstream issues. Upstream, we're too busy. We don't have time for God. We don't have time for prayer. We don't have time for his word and connecting with his heart, meditating on his truth. And when that becomes the case and you go on downstream, yes, then secular ideologies become a huge problem. Progressive Christianity becomes a huge problem. But the problem is upstream, that we are just too busy. Michael Zigarelli of Messiah University, he did a study a few years ago of several thousands of Christians from around the world on busyness and the pace of modern life. And these were his findings, and I quote, The accelerated pace and activity of the modern day distracts us from God and separates us from the abundant, joyful, victorious life he desires for us. The pace of life that you and I live in in the West is actually underwriting our ability to abide in the life of God. 
He, di- he goes on to outline a vicious cycle that he describes, and he, this is as it, as it follows. It may be the case, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, um, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and the cycle begins again. For so many people, I just described your life like, oh, wow, I look at that, like, oh, that's not, that's bad? That's not normal? No, it's not. It's not normal. It's normal to us, but it's a problem, okay? Ruth Haley Barton, a teacher and a spiritual director, she outlines nine signs that your life is moving too fast. I'll read them for you here. Nine signs that you are just too busy. Number one, irritability. You're a little prickly to deal with? You're a little rough around the edges, you're probably moving too fast. Number two, hypersensitivity. Does everybody just offend you? Do you just walk through life perpetually offended? She said this and he did that. You're going too fast and you're bumping into everybody. Number three, restlessness. Do you get to the point where you sit on the couch and you, you, you can't actually exhale? You, you sit on the couch and you're like, oh, where's my phone? Oh, I just, oh, I need to, where, oh, where's that thing I needed to do again? Oh, man, there's laundry there and I need to fold that up. And what, what was that thing I needed? I needed to send that email. Do, can you actually just rest? Can you rest? Can you just sit? Number four, compulsive overworking. When your schedule gets heavy, do you think to yourself, okay, how do I manage my time? Can I delegate things? Can I push things to another week? Or do you just go like, oh man, it's busy. Let's go hard. (laughs) I'm gonna put my head down and just work longer, harder, and just, well, just get it done. Compulsive overworking. Five, numbness. Sometimes when you are too busy, you actually lack the ability to empathize. You lack the ability to just sit with somebody in their pain and in their discomfort and to just sit and empathize with them. If you're going like, man, I I don't got time for that, you're probably busy. (laughs) You're probably too busy. Number six, escapist behaviors. Do do you go on binge watching, mindlessly scrolling on your phone, right? You're just like, you're up at night and you're just scrolling. So what are you looking for? I don't know. (laughs) You're just, just, just scrolling, just scrolling through that flicking white light. It's just like, it just captures you and you're just like, wow, what are you looking for? I don't know. (laughs) You're that, you're escaping. You're escaping. That is a sign you are too busy. Number seven, disconnected from our identities and calling. You don't live your life from the sense of who you are in the deepest sense of what God speaks to you and what he's called you to do. It's just like, I have, all, I have a to-do list a mile long and I need to get this kid to that place and that kid to that place and then I need to go over here and do this work and drop that off and, and my life is just a blur. And I no longer live from the truest sense of who I am in God and what he's called me to do. I'm just... I just go, okay? Number eight, not able to attend to human needs, right? 
Have you ever been a, have you ever been a college student and you're just like working, you gotta get this term paper done, term paper done, and somebody shows up at your house? When's the last time you had a shower, bro? Like, it's just like, oh, I don't know. I've just been trying to get this thing done. Like, you can't actually attend to your own human needs, you're too busy. <laughs> You can't take a shower or get adequate sleep. You are too busy. <laughs> or nine, uh, lastly, slippage in spiritual practices and disciplines. Like, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to just sit and pray. I got stuff to do. Like, what are, what are you talking about? These are signs that you are too busy. How are you doing? <laughs> How are you doing? Some of you right now, you're giving me some blank stares. You're like, I guess not good. <laughs> like, this is a problem. And it is a massive problem in our society today. I believe this is one of the biggest challenges that we face as modern Christians. And this is why this topic of the Sabbath is so important and relevant for us. I believe we need to adopt and embrace this command of the Sabbath, maybe now more than ever. So let's unpack what the Bible has to say about the Sabbath. You can turn with me if you have your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. It'll be up on the screen for you in case you don't. Mark chapter 2 says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to do. And he gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, in Jesus' day, the Sabbath was a very touchy subject for the religious community that Jesus was a part of. The Pharisees in particular, who were some of the prominent religious leaders of the day, what they, what they started doing in Jesus' time is they started building and imposing a ton of extra rules and regulations about the Sabbath. A lot of their mindset was they believed that they were exiled. They were kicked out of the promised land hundreds of years prior, partly due to the fact that they did not keep the Sabbath. That, that was part of their ethos. They thought, wow, if we, got, if we got removed from the promised land because we didn't keep Sabbath, then we're going to keep Sabbath like hardcore. <laughs> and we're going to put a whole bunch of extra rules, regulations, all these things around the Sabbath because we don't want to get kicked out again. And so this is where all these extra rules started to come into play. And this is where Jesus steps into the scene. And he, Jesus kind of likes to instigate. He kind of likes to poke at the bee's nest, so to speak. So he comes in and they have all these man-made rules and regulations. And he just starts to like poke at them a little bit, trying to trying to expose their hearts on the matter. So they made all these crazy extra rules and they completely missed the plot line. They completely missed the heart of what, was, what the Sabbath was all about. And Jesus was trying to restore that to them. And so the crowd in Jesus' day, they needed to hear the latter part of verse 27 in Mark 2. They needed to hear that man was not made for the Sabbath. 
They needed to hear the truth that, that they are not created to be this rule-keeping f- people in order to keep the Sabbath just as so. They needed to be liberated from these rules and these stipulations. But first century Israel is not our context. This is not where you and I live today. The problem in our day is not that we have too many rules about the Sabbath. The problem is we don't have any. We don't have any guidelines for keeping the Sabbath. We don't have, it's not even a thought in our minds. Like keeping the Sabbath, what is that? Isn't that for like people way back? And what, what am I supposed to do with that? We don't have any guidelines for it. We need to hear the first part of what Jesus says in, Matthew, or in Mark 2, where he says, the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man. This is a gift from God to be received, to be lived into and embraced as part of our worship to a holy God. And so as we dive in this morning, there are four components to what makes up the Sabbath biblically that give us an understanding of what it is and how we need to practice it together. Those four components are simply this. Stop, rest, remember, and celebrate. Those are the four components of Sabbath. Stop, rest, remember, and celebrate. Now let's look at each of these one at a time. Number one, stop. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally means to cease from or to stop working. That's what the word literally means. It refers specifically to a 24-hour period each week where we do nothing related to work at all in any sense. Pete Scazzaro in his book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality writes this. The Sabbath refers to this unit of time around which we are to orient our lives as holy, set apart from the other six days. The Sabbath provides for us an additional rhythm to orient our lives around the living God. We keep the Sabbath in order to set ourselves apart for God. I shared last week how God called the Israelites to be a holy people, set apart unto himself. That was not supposed to be just like flowery, inspirational thoughts. Yes, I'm holy unto the Lord. Oh, that's such a nice thought. No, it was intended to be, I'm holy, therefore my week is going to be structured in such a way that tells the world I am holy. I am setting a part, I am consecrating a day every single week where I will do nothing related to work. It's not just a flowery, inspirational thought. It was to be reflected in how they scheduled their everyday lives as set apart unto him. We also stop in order to remind ourselves that we are not God. We are not God. John Tyson writes this in his book, Beautiful Resistance. We must learn to resist the insatiable desire to do. In this way, we resist defining our lives by our successes or our failures. We refuse to believe that we are what we do. We refuse to believe that the world is sustained by our own power and effort. We resist the desire to control the outcomes of our lives. We no longer try to control people or use them for our own vision. We stop, we let go, we surrender. We are not God. 
And when we stop every week, we not just say with our mouths, but with our whole lives, he is in control and I am not. And when we do that, we also express that we trust him. We trust his goodness. We trust his sovereign care over our lives. Mark Buchanan, in his book on the Sabbath called The Rest of God, he puts it like this. If God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called to his purposes, you can relax. If he doesn't, start worrying. If God can take any mess, any mishap, any wastage, any wreckage, any anything, and choreograph beauty and meaning from it, then you can take a day off. If he can't, get busy. Either God is always at work, watching the city, building the house, or you need to try harder. Either God is good and in control, or it all depends upon you. Just let that sink in for a moment. Let it kind of marinate in your soul. Either God is good and in control, and that, should, that theology should allow you to stop. Or you don't believe that. It's as simple as that. You either trust that God is sovereign and good, which enables you to stop, or you don't. I love, I love my Calvinist friends who are just like, oh, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Ah. Well, how do you Sabbath? Oh, I don't. You don't believe in the sovereignty of God. You don't. <laughs> like to stick that in there. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> You're practically saying that you don't believe it. Because if God is sovereign and good, you can rest. You can take a break. You can stop. That's the first way that we practice the Sabbath. The second way that we keep the Sabbath is by resting. Is by resting. Exodus chapter 31 verse 17. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That word refreshed there means literally to exhale, right? You take a deep breath in and you, you exhale. That's what it means to be refreshed or to catch one's breath or to breathe easily. Part of your goal in the Sabbath is actually to be refreshed. Think about that for a moment. This God of heaven and earth commands you once a week to stop your work and be refreshed. To set aside all of the roles and responsibilities you carry and actually enter into rest and to be refreshed. Isn't he good? <laughs> He's good to command us. But the problem today is many of us are, many of us have learned the, the rhythms of what it means to rest, but we are very good at relaxing. John Tyson again says this in his book. Many of us today are good at relaxing. We sit back with our fast food of choice and binge a few episodes or watch a game, and it does seem to work. Being drawn into a multi-episode, visually stimulating show can shift our minds away from the problems in our lives. Highly manufactured foods are designed to delight our taste buds, and highly manufactured entertainment can stir the emotions. But though these things may relax us, they rarely renew us. Okay? The goal of Sabbath is not simply to relax. The goal of Sabbath is to rest. 
The goal of Sabbath is to enter into a place of soul-restoring time with God, where you enter into the new week refreshed and re-energized and re-engaged in the presence of God. Okay? I'm going to get out of my soapbox here for a moment, so I am forewarning you. I have the only job in the world where... If you come up to me afterwards and you're like, hey, you got a little preachy there this morning. I get to say thank you. I tried my best. Okay. I want to hit on this idea of relaxing. Okay. There was a book that came out a few years ago by a pediatrician named Robert Lustig. The book was called The Hacking of the American Mind. And he argues in this book that the Western idea of happiness has actually been hijacked And basically what we have defined as happiness in our Western society is pleasure. We define happiness in our society as pleasure. And so what what as marketing and advertisers have done is they have captured this idea that pleasure is what equals happiness. And so what we do, if that's the definition, if that's the idea we are believing in our minds, happiness is about pleasure, then what we do is we pursue pleasure. We pursue things that are pleasurable. So eating processed food or watching funny videos on your phone, all those things, what they do is they release a hormone in your brain called dopamine, and for a bit, it's awesome. Like when you get a dopamine hit in your brain, you feel great. You, like it's the reward, pleasure thing that releases in your brain. And you're like, wow, this is awesome. This is like, I'm pumped. Let's, let's. And what, what ends up happening though is you want more. You want more of that thing that just gave you that hit, right? So if it was chocolate, you want more. Like, I don't want, oh, oh, man, I just had a really great bowl of ice cream. That was amazing. Can I have more? And you want more, right? Sugar does this. Alcohol does this, right? You're like, oh, man, that was so good. Can I have more? And you want more. Orgasms do this in our brain. They release dopamine. And it's just on and on and on where you want more. But the problem is you never get satisfied. You never actually enter into happiness. It's an illusion because pleasure lasts only for a moment. It's fleeting. And so what what happens, our culture has adopted this paradigm that happiness is about pleasure. That's not how the Bible defines it at all. Happiness is not about pleasure. Happiness is about contentment. Happiness is about contentment. Look at what David says in Psalm 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you hear that? Do you hear what David is saying? I don't want for anything. I have the shepherd. He's here. He's content. His soul has found true happiness, which is contentment. It's not a dopamine hit where you're going, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. No, it's, it's contentment. I have everything that I need because I'm with the shepherd. Or consider Paul in Philippians 4, verse 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this who gives me strength. Paul looks at his circumstances, and he's in jail writing this letter. He's going, My circumstances don't dictate my happiness. My Savior dictates my happiness. And I have the Savior whether I'm well-fed and taken care of or I'm sitting in a jail cell. My happiness is in Jesus. So 
I'm good. I'm content. Happiness is not about pleasure. Happiness is about contentment. And why I'm harping so, so much on this is I'm speaking about the idea of Sabbath. And some of you are going to go like, man, that's awesome. I like that. I'm going to do that. And what you're going to do is you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to watch six hours of whatever. I'm going to catch up on season four of fill in the blank. Or I'm going to watch, have a movie watching marathon. And I'm going to order in cheap takeout food and not get out of my pajamas and not move a muscle all day. And be like, woo, I Sabbathed. It was great. And then the next day, you know what? You're going to feel like junk because you've essentially flooded your brain with dopamine and you're hung over the next day. That's essentially what you are doing. And you are going to self-sabotage the entire concept of the Sabbath if you don't learn like, oh, there's a difference between resting and relaxing. There's nothing wrong with relaxing from time to time, but it's not the same as resting. It's not the same as entering into the presence of God and allowing his love and his word and his truth and his goodness refuel you and replenish you. What fills your soul is the question you need to be asking yourself about the Sabbath. Not simply, how can I relax and take a break? Does this make sense? I don't want you to sabotage this beautiful gift that God has given to us. We need rest. We need to enter in. This is the second way that we practice the Sabbath. The third way is we remember. We remember on the Sabbath. There are two accounts given of the Ten Commandments. One is found in Exodus chapter 20. The other is found in Deuteronomy 5. And you would think that because these are the Ten Commandments, they would both say the same things. But in fact, they actually don't. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, where he gives the commandment to keep the Sabbath... Uh, he says this in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now if we jump over to Deuteronomy 5, this is how Moses says this commandment. And, it, and I'm highlighting verse 15. He says the same commandment, but he adds this in in Deuteronomy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. See, there are, they are both the same commands, but they have different emphasis. And Mark Buchanan, again, he says this in his book, The Rest of God. And he puts it so well that I won't try to improve upon it. He says this, Exodus grounds us in creation. Deuteronomy grounds us in liberation. Exodus remembers Eden, Deuteronomy, Egypt. In Exodus, Sabbath keeping is about imitating divine example and receiving divine blessing. In Deuteronomy, it's about taking hold of divine deliverance and observing divine command. One evokes God's character, the other his redemption. One calls us to holy mimicry, be like God, the other to holy defiance, never be slaves again. One reminds us that we are God's children, the work of his hands. The other that we are no one's chattel, not Pharaoh's or Nebuchadnezzar's, not anyone's. One is invitation, the other is warning. Did you catch that? In Exodus, it points to the garden. You are the creation of God. You are made in his image and likeness. And there is a task for you to do. 
You are, you are image bearers of God. Remember who you are. In Exodus, he says, remember that you were slaves. You were once alienated from the life of God in Christ. Remember who you're not. And don't live into an alternative story where you get caught up in your work and all the things you have to do. Remember who you are and remember who you're not. That is an important part of keeping the Sabbath. We, we remind ourselves of the gospel. We remind ourselves of who we are and whose we are not as an act of worship to God. The last thing we do is we celebrate. We celebrate. I'm going to read to you a short section from a book called Farmer Boy by Laura Ingalls Wilder. If you're familiar at all with that name, she wrote the Little House on the Prairie series. We homeschool our kids, and yeah, I read them Little House on the Prairies. We are that family. Uh, that is what it is. But we read this book, Farmer Boy, to our children, which is the story of Almanzo, who she grows up to marry Almanzo. And this is what Sunday looked like in Almanzo's home. <clears throat> Father let Almanzo help put the blankets on the horses while mother and the girls shook out their skirts and smoothed their ribbons. Then they all walked steadily into the church. The first clang of the bell rang out, and they were on the steps. After that, there was nothing to do but sit still until the sermon was over. It was two hours long. Almanzo's legs ached, and his jaw wanted to yawn, but he dared not yawn or fidget. He must sit perfectly still and never take his eyes from the preacher's solemn face and wagging beard. Almanzo couldn't understand how father knew that he wasn't looking at the preacher, if father was looking at the preacher himself, but father always knew. At last, it was over. In the sunshine outside the church, Almanzo felt better. Boys must not run or laugh or talk loudly on Sunday, but they could talk quietly. After dinner, Eliza, Jane, and Alice did the dishes, but father and mother, Royal, and Almanzo did nothing at all. The whole afternoon they sat in the drowsy, warm dining room. Mother read the Bible, Eliza Jane wrote a read a book, and father's head nodded till he woke with a jerk, and then it began to nod again. Royal fingered the wooden chair that he could not whittle, and Alice looked for a long time out the window. But Almanzo just sat. He had to. He was not allowed to do anything else. For Sunday was not a day for working or playing, it was a day for going to church and for sitting still. Almanzo was glad when it was time to do the chores. Ah! Like, ah, I just described prison for you. Like, ah, this is terrible. This is, ah, oh, this is awful. This is a tragedy. This, like, this is not what God intended the Sabbath to be. This is not what God intended the Sabbath to be, this day of rigid, don't sit, don't fidget, look at that guy talking the whole time, don't move, don't, no, 
No, that's not what God intended the Sabbath to be at all. This is not a day for solemn rule keeping. It is a day to celebrate the goodness of God. It is a day to celebrate his faithfulness in your life and to, and to do so with joy. Isaiah 25 verse 6, Isaiah sees a, a vision of salvation in the end and he sees it as a banqueting table. This is what he says, on this mountain the Lord will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Say that line with me again. The best of meats and the finest of wines. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's Salvation, Woo! that is awesome. That is glorious. Yes, I am down for that. Praise the Lord. The Sabbath is not a day for solemnness. It is a day for celebrating the goodness of God in our lives. It is a day to celebrate his faithfulness and his compassion and his mercy towards you. And to do so with a big old steak and a glass of wine and say, thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. This, it, yeah, thank you. I got one person with me here this morning. Okay. Like, it is a day to celebrate. It is a day to celebrate. Revelation 21, 3 through 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, he says, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Christian, we have the best news in the world. We have the best news in the world. All death, all decay, all of that is going away. And Sabbath is a day to celebrate the victory and the triumph of Jesus over death and Satan and hell and all of the grave. It is a day to celebrate that he is victorious. When he rose from the grave, death no longer has the final word. Death no longer has the final say in your life. Death has been defeated and it is a day to celebrate that God is a God of life he is a God of mercy. He is a God of compassion. And we can enter in and celebrate that. We have the best news in the world. And as Christians, we are too stiff. We're too stiff. We're like, I, I, I love the Lord. It's a day to celebrate. It's a day to rejoice. It's a day to say, thank you, God, that you have saved me. You have redeemed my life. I'm going to gather my loved ones. I'm going to gather friends. And we are going to rejoice and be thankful because Lord knows we need to celebrate. We need rejoicing. We need to say, we need this so much in our lives. We can get caught up in the decay and the death and the bad news 24-7 cycle. And we can just get, oh, everything is bad. Everything is No, Sabbath is not a day for solemnness. It is a day to celebrate. It is a day to rejoice in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And to do so joyfully and to do so liberally and to do so with gladness in your heart and sincerity in your bones. It is not a day for solemn rule keeping. It is a day for grateful celebrating. The Sabbath on this day, we choose to stop. And we choose to trust that God is God and we are not. On the Sabbath, we choose to rest. 
to enter into our souls in a genuine place of rest and not just relaxation. On the Sabbath, we choose to remember. We choose to remember who we are and we choose to remember who we are not. And let our lives be shaped by the story that God is telling us. And lastly, we choose to celebrate. We choose to rejoice because our God is God and he is king and he has defeated the grave and he has won it all. And we simply need to sit back and enjoy because that's who he is. And this is what he's done for us. I'm going to quickly, you get, I had to cut some stuff from the first service. I'm going to go through it quickly. Uh, you get the director's cut because you're in second service. But, um, so I'm going to go through this quickly. My family and I, we have been intentionally trying to keep Sabbath uh, for the better part of a year. I don't have it nailed, but what I want to do very briefly is just give you my top 10 recommendations for keeping the Sabbath well. Like just trying to intentionally practice this as a rhythm in our lives. I don't have this nailed, I don't have it done perfectly, but I just want to share these things with you briefly um, as a way to encourage you towards Sabbath keeping. So my, here are my top 10 things. Number one, turn off your phone for the day as much as you possibly can. This would be my number one recommendation for keeping the Sabbath. Um, it is a difficult thing to do. I don't have it mastered yet by any means. If you're saying like, you'd like turn off my phone for the entire day? I would encourage you to try it. If you can't get to that point, that's okay. I would say start with two or three hours. Just stick it in a drawer and put it away. Our phones are not just distractions. They're, they're oftentimes connected to our work. We got emails to respond to and people to text back and all that other stuff. Try shutting off your phone for as much of the day as you possibly can. Number two, start your Sabbath the night before with a great meal. Okay, so if you choose, let's say your Sabbath is Sunday, which is how a lot of people practice the Sabbath. A, be, a really good way to practice the Sabbath is actually to start it the night before. This is how traditional Jewish people started their Sabbath. Their Sabbath didn't start in the morning, it started in the evening, and it started with a great big meal of celebration. So for my family and I, we've been instituting kind of a rhythm in our household. Our Sabbath is on Saturdays, and so we start Friday night with a big Shabbat dinner. And we have a wonderful spread, and we take communion together, we eat, and it's just like we, we, we begin our day with feasting. <laughs> and that's how we start our Sabbath. So it's just an encouragement. Number three, try not to buy or sell things on the Sabbath. I would say with the exception of food, um, if you want to go out for a dinner or something like that, that's, that's okay. I'd try your best to not buy or sell. It just... It's a, it's a day to get out of all the rhythms that we normally get into, right? We're part of an economic system that's constantly be like, you need to buy more stuff in order to be happy. And then you go out and buy the thing, and then it's like, oh, that was fun for a bit, and now I'm not happy anymore. Oh, you should go buy more stuff and just keep going and go. Sabbath is, no, I, I will not engage in that system today, right? So it's a, an encouragement to do. It's not a day to catch up on your to-do list. We all have to-do lists, right? It's not a day to be like, okay, Oh, right on, I got a day off. I need, to, I need to fix that thing over there and I need to paint the spare bedroom and we need to clean that. Like, no, it's not a day to catch up on your to-do list. It's a day to rest. Number five, try not to think or talk about work-related things. This one is very, very difficult. <laughs> try not to have conversation about work. Try not to think about work. It is very, very difficult. And I will encourage you, as you try to do this, you're gonna be like, oh, 
gosh, I'm thinking about, and, and you're going to have to stop a lot of times, okay? It's a very th- hard thing to do, but I would encourage you to do that. Number six, delay heavy or emotionally draining conversations for another day, okay? This is not avoidance. This is not, oh, I just don't want to have that conversation with that person. No, it's just today is not the day for that. We'll do it another time, okay? Save your fight for your spouse to Monday or whatever. You know, like, we're not doing that today, okay? We will do that another day. It's, it's a day to rest and to celebrate. Number seven, have some plans but hold them loosely, okay? I have found for our family, if we don't have anything planned, like loose plans on the Sabbath, I naturally gravitate to work, Okay, so I need something, like, we're going to go do this thing with these people, and it's going to be fun and laid back and relaxed. That's great. If I don't have at least something planned in the day, I'm naturally going to gravitate to doing laundry or to cleaning that room, and and you just kind of gravitate towards work. Have some plans, but hold them loosely. Number eight, if your work is sedentary, plan some movement, okay? If you're at a desk eight, nine, ten hours a day, you need to move, that's actually part of bringing restoration to your body and to your soul, right? So you don't have to be a weekend warrior, but just like go for a walk or get a bike ride or go for a swim. Make sure if, if your work is sedentary, make sure to plan some movement. If your work is very physical, plan to take a nap, right? Or sleep in, whatever that looks like. If you work a very physically demanding job, this is a great day to sleep in. It's a great day to take a nap. It's worshipful. Wow, oh, how wonderful is God? <laughs> what are we going to do? I'm going to worship the Lord by taking a nap. Thank you, Jesus. That's wonderful. Anyway, have some extended time with just you and God. Have some extended time, silence and solitude and prayer, opening up the word. Just I, We like to, like, full confession, I like to put on, we, we like putting on shows a little bit longer on, uh, on Saturday mornings. And then I'm like, oh, I just, I get into the word a lot more and it just extends the time. It's beautiful. Um, I encourage you guys to do that. And number 10, be gracious to yourself. Practicing Sabbath is more of an art than a formula. You're gonna have times where you're keeping Sabbath and then you're like, oh, I'm thinking about work. Or, oh, I sent an email and I probably shouldn't have done that. Or, oh, I went and bought some junk that I really don't need. Or like, be gracious to yourself. It's an art. And learning to keep Sabbath takes time and it takes intentionality. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. Thank you for indulging me a little bit longer. Uh, You're the second service, so you got the director's cut this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Let me just pray for you as they are setting up. Jesus, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our rest. We thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to come and to rest in the fullness of who you are. And God, we thank you that your commands are for our good. They're for our benefit. They're for our, uh, they're for our thriving. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would teach us to keep this practice of the Sabbath. Help us. We want to learn from you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So feel free to... Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.